Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Elden Ring podcast, episode 22. How does the day find you, my very special guest, Monster Caesar, a.k.a. if I may call you by your name, Andrew? Yeah, that is correct. Excellent. All right. Well, how does the day find you, my friend? Uh, it's, pr it's pretty good. I, I didn't quite realize the time difference. I thought it was seven hours ahead of my time, but it was seven hours behind. So it is 2 a.m. here where I am, oh. which is actually quite all right, because I'm a night owl, and I was up anyway, so... You were? Okay, all right. Yeah. I very much appreciate that uh, that pivoting, uh, you know, which is usually, I don't know, maybe artists are like this, is uh, if there's a commission or something, it's like, I think I'm done with this project, excellent, and then they throw you, they hit you with, can I have another iteration? So I want to say we appreciate the uh, the very um, uh, generous uh, pivot that you've that you've done for us for sure Thanks. um but mate so i have to just say all the all the nice things so maybe you can just like <laughs> have have a, have a have a nice seat there and while i just express this so uh listeners and viewers um first of all welcome all of you to the show uh i need to give some context for this amazing human being with me uh on the show uh, monster i think i might just end up calling you monster a lot is that okay you. okay <laughs> all right Monster here, uh, Andy. <laughs> uh, you you make some amazing, amazing sculptures, and I saw your pot goblin or pot friend, as Jeff Keeley was kind of trying to make happen. I don't know if it's happened for him. He was like, "I'm I'm making pot friend happen." I'm like, Jeff, I love you. It it didn't happen, um, but yes, I saw way way back in like many many months ago that uh, you're one of the first people to to put something out, uh, sculpt it up, and it looked perfect it made me want to have one straight away and, and and hit you up for one um and i am in awe of your work seriously i think you might be a bit desensitized to it because you're very close to it you make it but as far as i'm concerned you kind of have all of the miyazaki verse at your you know fingertips to just 3d print and just <laughs> populate your house with so very envious but in, in more awe than envy yeah for sure so what do you have to say to that, my friend, Mr. Uh, Goblin Sculptor? Uh, thank you. Um, I try to do what I can. Uh, back when I used to work as a chef, uh, my head chef at the time would tell us more regularly than not that uh, go out there and try not to suck. And I've kind of kept okay. that with me as a mentality. So I'm glad that my work does not suck and people appreciate it. Oh, <laughs> it's the furthest thing from suck, I'll tell you right now, because it's... um. It's actually, by the way, folks, if, you, if you're if listening on the um, replay, uh, maybe pause right now, check out the description where, with all of uh, Andrew's links that I'll have populated in there um, and and bask, seriously bask in the variety. Like it's, it's also very prolific work you do in, in different spheres. Um, and hopefully, well, actually not even hopefully, I'm sure that after this, especially with some of the images I'll be sharing in the promo stuff I'll be doing around this episode on the Instagram, you might start getting some Elden Ring uh, commissions. Do you, do you get many of those people chiming in saying, hey, can you make this or that for me from Elden Ring? Um, I've gotten a few. The last one I got was for, um, was it, uh, it was a prop for the, um, I think it was the Reduvi uh, Reduvian Dagger. Listen the, um, no, oh boy. Sorry uh, about that. <laughs> Had to yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which is a, a cool design. Other than that, um, my commission prices are a little bit usually out of the range of um, the average person. 
because I I tend to work with like bigger studios doing collectibles and stuff, and I kind of have to price accordingly. Mm-hmm. If there's like a really cool commission that comes my way, and I can work something out as far as um, distribution and stuff goes, sometimes I can kind of deal with people. But yeah, I'm that's the I'm, exception, not the rule. Yeah, I I don't know. Gotta got pay for my skills in time. <laughs> you please, please do, and uh, that adage from the uh, Dark Knight, you know, if you're good at something, never do it for free. It's a good one. Well, yeah. uh, well, I do do stuff for free, but it's usually like charity stuff. But I mean, never work cheap, I think, is a better uh, mentality. Like <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, that's me sharing out the stream so we can get as many eyes on you and your work as possible. Just, and it. also to um, uh, anyone else, I guess on the replay, we haven't gotten anyone in the chat so far, but um, listening to this, share it out. Um, monsters work. The monsters roar must be heard across all different <laughs> platforms, I'm sure. Um, so we have our uh, regular kind of Elden Ring ID questions. Uh, if you don't mind me kind of going into those, we'll riff and, and go on all kinds of tangents, I'm sure. But Sounds uh, good. Your first touch point with anything related to Miyazaki. Oh boy. Um, that would have been back in the days of Dark Souls. Um, mm-hmm. Before it kind of became the monster, or not Dark Souls, sorry, Demon Souls, geez. Mm-hmm. Prior to Dark Souls, before um, the, you know, Demon and Dark Souls ness kind of became the behemoth that it did, there's a little bit of a buzz on the internet. Um, from reviewers that had seen Demon Souls, and it's like this game is so much different at the time. And uh, just reading about it, because I had been very um, disappointed in kind of for those young kids out there, because this was mm. I was like twenty or something, I think, when Demon Souls came out. Um, games like God of War and Devil May Cry were kind of your slasher run around games, and I always found yeah. them very boring. And not very difficult. Like if you died during a game, it's not because an enemy killed you. It's because you rolled off an edge or something like that. Like they were very um, kind of ho-hum. And if you're going through the game, not difficult. Um, if you did increase the difficulty, it didn't do it in a fair way. It was just you would die randomly from being one shot from some weak, crappy enemy. And it wasn't wasn't fun. So hmm. when Demon Souls came out, I think... I pre-ordered one through GameStop and they didn't get any in, so I had to like get on a stupid train and go an hour and a half <laughs> across town to a Walmart that had two of them in. They're only getting two, and was able to pester an employee. He gave me one. That was kind of my first um, touchstone with that. And love Demon Souls. Absolutely loved it. The remaster, remake, or whatever you liked is, it is. Oh, I love it. It's great. Mm. Um, and yeah, just been following along with. Uh, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, which is still my favorite, Sekiro, which I was a little bit mm, on, yeah. and uh, Elden Ring. So Yeah. Wow, we have very parallel experiences and, and preferences. It's the Elden Ring podcast. We have a lot of uh, activity, heat map around it, so, so to speak. Um, but uh, but Bloodborne still, for me, is is... It edges out, I think, maybe on on a sentimental level. Um, but it's early days for Elden Ring. The the art books are on their way, and uh, I, I just saw that. I'm very excited. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Are you a bit of an art book kind of a person yourself? Oh my. For those that can't yeah. see, right um, yes, I technically have a library, and most of it consists of art books. And I've got yeah. 
Um, the Japanese version of Bloodborne, the Dark Souls art books have got... Oh, this guy. I've, they're, they're over there somewhere, and yeah, I've got, I got a lot of art books. <laughs> All right. A man after my own heart, for sure. Uh, and I feel the exact same way about Sekiro. Like, it, it's... Um, there's a lot i mean i love um the divine palace and the the weirdness you know the centipedes anything that kind of i guess you could say maybe is adjacent to and a sibling to a bloodborne right with with that weirdness and um but now it's it's a little bit similar with with, with elden ring uh there's a there's a strange thing with elden ring and i guess that we can do a little round table on this um is that it feels at once like uh the synthesis of everything that's come before and then there are there is some argument to it being a distillation. Like if this was the, you know, like the can cannons go off and that is that's it. Miyazaki's last fantasy game. I mean, it has the qualities. It has the everythingness of the ultimate Miyazaki fantasy statement of the genre. And now he's just going to do armored cores and other things. Like it has a bit of that. You know, what's what's your vibe on that? Yeah, no, I agree. Like every subsequent game has had. Uh, usually much like better and newer, either it's technical or just gameplay-wise things kind of added on and weaved into the mix. Because even going back and playing Demon Souls after the more recent games, it can be a little bit rough at times just because of some of the systems are a little bit outdated. But it still yeah. works. It's just not the same kind of game pace set in Bloodborne where things got very aggressive and you're not, you know, turtling and shielding for your yeah. dear life and uh yeah elden ring definitely has um kind of everything brought in to like a good um yeah i guess uh, uh yeah so, to a good ratio i guess you know yeah I think they've, they, yeah yeah they 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 worked on they worked hard on it even even with the pandemic i think that they uh they weighed up everything that had come before and there was just more to do a lot of people were surprised it's like this feels like especially after Dark Souls 3 felt like a little bit of him saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I've sort of said my piece regarding, you know, surreal Western fantasy that leans into that Nibelung lead kind of, you know, uh, traditional knights in shining armor or knights in armor stuff. But it, Elden Ring, honestly, it may, in some ways, when you see how much Elden Ring was embraced, it's like Dark Who, like Souls Who. Like there's just this, you know, was was Ming Na Wen doing commercials for, for Dark Souls two or three? Like was <laughs> all of this stuff like uh or the recent uh it's New York Comic Con, I think uh, Morgoth the Fell, uh he he Margot the Fell rather, like um just won the co the co cosplay competition or something. Like it's really oh, nice. bursting. Yeah, bursting into the and that's a major cosplay competition. So with like with the Tony Starks and the I think it didn't win, but it came second place, which is huge for a Miyazaki. So in terms of permeation into the, the pop culture, Elden Ring is um it's kind of leaving the other Miyazaki stuff in, in the dust, I suppose. But uh, you know. Yeah. I mean it has George R. R. Martin attached to it as well as writing, which I mean coming off yeah. of Game of Thrones, despite the how the TV show treated it in the last several years, which you know, yeah. enough has been yeah. said about that. I mean, he's one of the most, you know, I guess, well-known fantasy authors of all time now. Kinda, so, yeah. I mean, having him alone attached, I actually met him in a hotel lobby once. It was. Oh, how was that? I didn't realize it was him at the time. I was in um, right. Kansas City for uh, an art convention called Spectrum, which I don't know if it exists anymore. 
And uh, we got there, and um, I didn't realize there was also a fantasy convention at the exact same weekend. So I was just checking into my hotel uh, with my girlfriend at the time and, like, saw this guy sitting in the hotel lobby on the chair. I'm like, huh, the guy looks like George R. Martin. Get upstairs. And my girlfriend's yep. going through, like, the pamphlets and crap that he gets. Like, oh, there's a, there's a author or fantasy author thing. And it's like, oh, there's... Says a guy from Game of Thrones, like, what? And went down to the lobby, and he'd left already. But um, he was just sitting there in his little hat and beard. Um, and I didn't know at the time. So, I mean, That's... I guess meeting him is a bit of a stretch. But walked no, really close him. by him and acknowledged yeah. him. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, so there was a natural nodding of, of, of the chins. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. The, a manly acknowledgement. But, of um, course. Yeah, I feel kind of, I would have accosted him because it wasn't quite, or it was, what year was this? I can't remember. Game of Thrones was well probably into its second or third season. So it wasn't, he wasn't an unknown at the time, but anyway. Well, I think you should see it this way. You actually played it really cool and I think he appreciated it. I think he was like, there was, an, there was a recognition there, but he let me live my life. That's cool. I think uh, yeah. coming away from that interaction, he was like, that's someone who's, who's pretty zen with himself, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've run into enough celebrities where I'm not the... There are a few people I've fanboyed with and I'm, think back and cringe. But for the most part, they're just people. You just, just be like, hey, you do cool yeah. shit. Yeah, bro. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for providing the world cool stuff. And that's kind of the end of the interaction. So, I love that. I think that's um, the most uh, just even keel way to approach interactions like that, for sure. Well, what a lovely listeners, viewers, and lovely little... Uh, sort of um, detour into meeting the co-creator in some ways or just like <laughs> major, majorly contributing creator to Elden Ring. Uh, thank you for that, Andrew. <laughs> One expecting that. Yeah. Um, Neither right. was I. Otherwise, well, it would have you know been different. It's like, oh, no, you're fine. I think this is going to be, here's the thing is, just watch House of the Dragon. Phenomenal finale. It's 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 good stuff right now with, with George and with your work also, you know, from strength to strength, the, the pods will I'm sure, and with COVID, you know, no longer being so much of a thing with conventions, he's been hit with it. It's it's gone. He's 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 fine from it. So I think Andrew and George, the 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 threads shall weave again, is what I'm saying. In oh, some kind maybe. of convention, you yeah. never know. You never know. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. It's good to just like, what is it? Um, have no expectations, but be open to cool things happening. That's yeah. that's kind of how I live my life, honestly. I can yeah. dig it. Whenever yeah. I go on trips or travel, I'm not one to plan, you know, too down to the minute, but I'll like, yeah, kind of go there, have cool stuff in mind, but it's like, hey, it's $10 to go climb some tower. It's like, sure, I'll go climb that tower for $10 and, you know, wander off down streets for hours. Then you find weird stuff that you'd never come across. But that, my listeners and, and wonderful viewers, is, uh, it's, a sacred thing you should do during travel, which is giving yourself that space, you know. And now that look, watch me try and segue this <laughs> while we're traveling, you and I, shoulder to shoulder, torrent to torrent, trotting away <laughs> in in the lands between. While we're doing that, I uh, I want to first of all reflect this back to you. I asked about Miyazaki origin story. You completely unprompted gave us your George R. R. Martin origin story, like right. Um, but I should I should actually add that thank you to the the Elden ID so to speak. Um, so you obviously met him in the lobby, which is rad. But had you encountered his works before? Um, uh, and like, what was the first point of contact with you and, and George R. R. Martin? Yeah, I think the 
first one was is after I heard HBO was doing an adaptation of his work. Um, I I didn't know who he was beforehand, and I went and I'm a besides avid reader, avid audiobook absorber. Oh, I don't I never know nice. what word to call reading <laughs> audiobooks. It, there's a, there's contention between that. And I still call it reading anyway. Um, I call it reading too. Yeah. So uh, as soon as I heard they got the rights and were you know devoting however many millions to make this show, I'm like, there's got to be something interesting there. And uh, listen to the sixty-eight hour plus audiobooks of what were out at the time, <laughs> oh, and I think God. it was just the first three books um, then, and uh, they're really good. So um, yeah, yeah, that was very... my first. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say very dense dense stuff and um i've always found that so fascinating that the the sort of opposites attracted with uh miyazaki's fragmented storytelling like you know shatter the mirror scatter all the pieces of the mirror across the world and then and then watch as people piece it together versus these very densely packed everything accounted for all family trees watertight you know very little in terms of uh you know yeah i i love that alchemy between the two yeah, I gotta say, Family Trees read in audiobook form. Not the best thing. Because <laughs> at the end of, I think it's, yeah, the first book, the narrator has to, there's like a 30 minute gap of him reading Family Trees. And it's, it, it, as someone that does a little bit of voice acting on the side and has done, you know, a little bit of audiobook reading, I do not envy the person that has to just read name after name son of mother of and try yeah. and make it interesting because it's not it's just oh not. yeah not even if you you can't dramatize just the reading of data you know no especially Anus, about, yeah you don't know who these people are you're just hoping you pronounce them right and that's about yeah. it yeah uh. oh, all right just um l's in the chat as the kids say or h's what, what some number or some letter in the chat for for poor um people reading these uh a song of ice and fire um family tree you know page, script pages i'm sure poor things you know yeah oh boy <laughs> oh boy all right well uh, onwards to the other questions as well um this one's a favorite of mine is uh what um is your favorite area of um the lands between to visit to sort oh, of inhabit? boy i mean i i know this is gonna ha happen i Unfortunately, haven't actually played Elden Ring as much as I would like. Okay, I've not okay. finished the game. I've played, I think I've played for like 16, 17 hours, so not as much as needed for the, uh, for what it is. I just, I haven't had time. Okay. <laughs> but, um, that's hard to say. Hey, you can say Landell. Landell, uh, Limgrave, you know, um, it is really nice uh, no, of this time no, of year. <laughs> the area, last time I played, i just gone underground into, I'm not even sure of the region's name. It was underground, uh, really far away. There was a lot of water and like mm -hmm. fake stars in the sky and giant crabs. And um, I should well, have looked that's, this up. I can't no, remember, that's okay. but it was really Wait. cool. Very, very beautiful. And then Le I came Le through the other Leonia. side. And uh, I, I suppose saying spoilers for this area, this podcast mm. doesn't make sense. There was a really giant pot boy or pot man oh, at yes. the end. And then the summons just murdered me immediately. And um, 
I stopped playing out of anger. No, not really, but that's I think that's where I stopped. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's that's pretty nice. I think Leonia has a has a magical quality to it. Whenever I'm in Leonia, I think of Atreyu and Artax from mm. um the the Neverending Story. Uh except that's how I would have wanted it to go. Um just much <laughs> more peaceful, just trotting along and it's reflective and lovely and sure it's a bit spooky, but there's no drowning of horses. Yeah. Um, Ricky R chimes in and says, what were you guys' favorite boss fight from Elden Rings? That's actually one of my um, uh, questions. So thank you, Ricky R. Um, and yes, may as well um, um, yeah, address that one. So how about yourself, uh, Andrew? Oh, boy. See, these answers are not going to be good. Um, That's cool. I'm even trying to remember the bosses I even fought. I mean, there's Godfrey Godwin. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. The guy that grafts the dragon to his arm. He's pretty oh, yeah. cool. But other than the that, golden. I haven't really fought too many um yeah. i don't Go know trick. if she counts as a boss there's some terrible thing in the library that kept summoning ghosts and firing magic at oh. me that i yeah. did not enjoy yeah <laughs> until the end then i enjoyed it yeah but um you went into a little bit of transatlantic there. i did not enjoy that i really did good. not enjoy that yeah no, it was, no. Um, <laughs> We're going to have to get you on for the uh, uh, Fallout slash Bioshock stuff that we do. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, I've done, oh, I've worked on the board games for Bio or Fallout, not Bioshock. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Oddly enough, I actually oh. worked on the, uh, oh, shut up, phone. That's um, cool. I worked on the Dark Souls board game as well. This is wonderful. We have also the Dark Souls, anything. It's That's why it's called a topic podcast network any topic there's a podcast for it and I, I, I think i might be clinically insane we'll put that aside <laughs> for now um but uh but that is incredible and we will have to i might have to hit you up for talking about that on the dark souls podcast for sure. yeah it was an um, i don't know if it was a great experience but i'll talk about it <laughs> okay Ooh. all right well there you go listeners and viewers a little teaser for that one coming up and i think i'm gonna do my italian thing where i don't so much invite you as basically like auto and auto ensure that you're going to be on it, which is the Bloodborne podcast, uh, the very first podcast that uh, the network launched with back in nice. like 2015. You know, when I was still using my little voice memo app, I was like, <laughs> I like Bloodborne. I'm looking forward to Bloodborne. I'm going to try podcasting. It's it was it was fun. Um, OK, so, yeah. And that's actually going to have obviously it's big 10-year anniversary in a few years which is going to be trippy it's but i would much rather oh. yeah, it's been. i would much rather the occasion of us meeting on the bloodborne podcast be um asmr cast right now guys sipping coffee really i can get that. really up on this microphone if you want <laughs> i can you know just thank you yep thank you there you go yep i said <laughs> that's great all right. Join me in my now, live streams for so many other antics such as that. Such as that. <laughs> I love that. That's great. And um, now the FromSoft people who are working on the Foley for the next Elden Ring 2, they now have their perfect uh, sample of man swallows liquid in dungeon. Yeah, I can also do great <laughs> gurgles and dying screams. Yeah. and. You know. Oh, you can? Oh, yeah. It's wow. Great. I'm not going to do it because it's 2 a.m. and the rest of the household would not appreciate, but... Well, not with that attitude. No, Come definitely on. not. It's the podcast is still young. I'm kidding. All right. <laughs> All right. No, I'm having fun here. Okay, cool. Well, so Bloodborne Podcast. Yeah, I would much rather the occasion be that we are celebrating and I'm hitting you up and saying, Andrew, 
monster we have to talk about this remaster or this remake or whatever because if horizon is getting remade or whatever that's happening and remastered um there's a lot of uproar specifically for the yeah from the bloodborne people being like what what are you doing sony you know i well i heard rumors that it was uh the same studio that did the demon souls remake may or may not have been working on that but that was a while back that i read that so hmm. well you probably know much more than i on this so La the latest word is that there were rumors of someone one of the uh the big guys doing something with a remaster you know and it would just be a remaster um not not a like ground up remake no um, that would be a, yeah that would be a waste i i hope they but... just do the same thing they did with demon souls where they use the same code everything yep. and just kind of put a new coat of paint on it mm -hmm. all without just upscaling ai textures on everything and kind of because they did that with the um dark souls remaster and it works yeah but i would yeah. love the the lighting and ray tracing and all the lovely goodness that uh demon souls gave us because that is a gorgeous gorgeous game probably the best on ps5 still i think Ooh, i haven't seen anything oh, wow. that matches it to be honest okay all right well um yeah that has that that gauntlet has been tossed down to to anyone wondering uh elden ring pretty snazzy looking game but obviously because of the scale of um the demon souls uh i i find that world scale often determines like visual fidelity like considering the vastness of elden ring like there's surprisingly little aliasing and weirdness and clipping and stuff like that which is just oh, sort yeah. of yeah i mean yeah. it's still a gorgeous game but it was made mm -hmm. for like the the awkward cross system era so you know you have to make your concessions um, concessions where you need and yeah still mm -hmm. gorgeous but all right i can dig that i can dig that um and now this is one of one of the questions that gets a you know an interesting interesting reaction um i find at least so as you're making your way through the lands between, first of all, have you? Where did you reach in terms of plot and uh, like locations? I don't um, know. It's Ring. it's been a little bit <laughs> a bit of a while since I actually played it. Um, mm -hmm. I I should have really played it more leading up to this, but I <laughs> have not had time. Um, no, that's okay. Yeah, um, I think I killed Godric and explored a bit around. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Okay. Okay. I will. I will. I Mostly will take, the take... like main area. I don't, I'm terrible with the names. That's um, called Limgrave. Limgrave. Lim, Limgrave. I think is kind yeah, of yeah. the extent. But that's um. Cool. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's do not do not worry. So the question is, um, what's your what's your build like? What do you what do you main like? What's that? Is it just hitty hit slash slash, or you like to be all magical and casty? You know. Um, I usually like going like your fast dex weapons and dodging and parrying stuff is kind of my preferred method. But there's just so much magic stuff in this game that I feel stupid for not doing a magic build because I seem to have gone around and it's like you find some weird cave and then you find an awesome magic spell on a body at the end. It's like, I can't even use this. Why did I do all that? <laughs> and um, yeah, I do want to either respec your character which is a lovely addition that i mm -hmm. just figured out yeah. you could kind of do near my last time i played or just start a new character and start magic missling things from across the map because <sighs> i wish i had started 
with the magic build and i just don't have the patience for it because i know that it would make things easier down the line but uh you know that's probably many a many a from soft slash miyazaki podcast you've it's like must be one of the most common refrains but Ricky R has to dash, but says, love the streams. Keep up the great work. I have to get some sleep, but I'm going to come back and finish the stream tomorrow. Really interested in what you guys have to discuss. So a bit of a, like a uh, community side housekeeping. Well, thank you very much, Ricky. Very yes. Much thank you, Ricky. It. Oh, I'm just trying. I'm trying different things. I'm, I'm making it. I'm making it happen. Check me out. Boom. Sorry. We had to do a little stream yard refresh to sort of farewell, Ricky. Um, okay. Well, uh, his yeah, you know, with with Elden Ring, um, being that it is the topic of uh, of this show, as much as it is so tempting, especially with the prolificity, I guess you'd call it, of and the adjacency, like you 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 always feel like talking. Well, this reminded me of this area in Dark Souls Three, and that like they're so bunched together, like chronologically. I guess I could throw that to you. Do you know of a creator? And this isn't just like rhetorical just so we're smoke blowing to Miyazaki but in terms of like cadence of releases and then quality of those releases like what this is a it's something quite singular to him I think you know I mean it's it's almost every two years there's there's a Miyazaki project coming around the bend and it's uh extremely good high quality so what do you reckon about that are we talking video game specific or just yeah uh, in general yeah well, yeah, it seems like, well, I think Miyazaki is the undisputed when it comes to prolific and quality. You know, I think Tom Waits once said you can have it good, fast and not cheap or cheap, good, but not fast. Right. Yeah. But he that does... mentality. If you're a freelance artist, that's kind of what you live by. <laughs> yeah. So one of them loses out, but he seems like he's yeah. he's doing it pretty well. Um, and I've, I don't know much on the money side, but looks like he does these things not too blown out budget wise like he doesn't he obviously gets incredible voice actors i think maybe the most money he spends on a talent side is these incredibly like high quality british tending to be voice actors who are obviously going to get on the show down the line when they're free you know nice for sure mm -hmm. so uh, but yeah if you had any thoughts about others you know who who uh, does that like quantity and quality usually it's one or the other but this guy does both yeah um Game-wise, it's hard to find um, anyone that has done that. But it's also hard to find game studios that will give kind of a creator like that as much leeway and control over a project and have a, mm. a sound studio working behind them with amazing artists that can do that. I mean, um, unless <laughs> this could delve into the, the trials and tribulations of working in the game industry real quick here, which I don't really want to do, but... Um, it's it's very difficult for studios to keep um, artists on for more than a couple of games without either purposely burning them out or people just getting bored of projects. So mm -hmm. having a consistency across just one a single studio as far as creating games is very difficult. Okay. So um, yeah, keeping a level of quality. I mean, you can you can see it happen in big game studios like Bioware, which used to be kind of the top as far as oh. RPGs go. And you lose a couple of key people in the, you know, directorial and managerial positions at the studios. And you, you're not just losing a random person. People make a big difference in projects. Mm. It's like one or two people could be pulling that entire studio together and giving it that like feel and quality that you need. And you lose one of those people 
and it all suffers. I mean, CD Projekt yeah. Red, kind of the same thing, where Witcher 3, phenomenal game, but um, for whatever reasons, um, you know, happen, they lose some key people on projects, and then they either mm. farm out parts of the game to smaller studios or, you know, just don't have anyone that can write uh, a yeah. decent story and quest lines, and those people matter, and you lose mm. them. And from at least my understanding with From Software, um, they haven't lost um, those people over the years. They've seemed pretty dedicated to the studios, as far Willy as Wonka. I know. It's like Wonka. It's like they're so consistent, and I think I don't know what it is. They just they buy they bypass all of the drama. That is, there is sometimes seems like it haunts the you know video game industry, and they they just disappear for a bit. Uh, all the concept artists are strange, invisible ghosts. There's this weird. It's just weird, and then this thing suddenly emerges, and that's a product. It's very much like Willy Wonka, you know. Yeah, and just the way that yeah. they market games too. Like they don't seem to be held to the oh we need to have a game trailer out and then they you know hammer on the team for like four months just to work on like game trailer specific stuff and deviate them from the actual game they want to work on and um uh, i'm going to delve into other games and problems in the industry if i keep going down this but yeah from the outside looking in from software has a very like concise and direct way of working on their games which a lot of studios either can't do or struggle with. So, mm. um, yeah, there's uh, something to be said about that. <laughs> I think um, this, uh, I mean, I, and I, I get a bit soapboxy when it comes to this, but when it when it works so well as it has for Elden Ring, it, it, it boggles my mind that more people don't do that. Um, I guess maybe it's like the industry can only allow for a Miyazaki or a Miyazaki or two or three maybe but if everyone did that then you know I have this very cynical view by the way with um, brick and mortar offices and I know mm. that the reason why there's still a lot of infrastructure up and running is because screw work from home and how convenient that would be for people but it's actually the cafes and the restaurants that they double down and they say we need these offices to exist so I feel like the you know and i'm part of it in some sense with the podcasting side even though i thrived so well with zero information of any kind with kojima i love having nothing because it means you can go in everything i hate the grabbiness and the instant gratificationness of people wanting to hear and like get as much information as possible and i get very impassioned when it comes to the art suffering and uh now there's just this expectation that unless you are a miyazaki where you've you know earned and, and you have clout enough to just disappear and not give everything that people have this anxiety to have to tell and to um you know even make these trailers that make these promises and stuff and honestly Elden Ring came out when it was ready there was a whole meme thing you remember the quote-unquote dark times when it was mm -hmm. does Elden Ring even exist is it even coming and then the wobbers I can't remember whatever the Pokemon was that like the Elden Ring was doing um uh you know, pretending like there was this weird, it just got really weird, like hollowing and all this strange behavior. But um, that was what that was. And then guess what? Like because of the high level of quality that that eventual, you know, end product had, it's it's going to go on to have this incredible legacy precisely because there wasn't um, an eroding attention spans, kind of instant gratification, scroll past 
kind of culture to it. It was they stayed fixed on it. They didn't get anxious about needing to release to a schedule. And I don't know, man, like if only people could be more brave, but maybe you do need clout. Maybe you have to be a James Cameron or, you know, you have to have that high powered like ability to say, no, I'll, I'll only provide this if I, you know, when it's ready. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's a whole thing I could delve into with, you know, it, it comes down to money half the time and studios needing to release on a schedule and having uh, and stuff to get the board and investors excited and not it, like it's <laughs> I don't want to go down this road because there's nothing good to say unfortunately <laughs> that's all right but um <laughs> don't even worry about it yeah but no I You're agree okay. and um just as far as the mentality of, of game release schedules these days I mean from software if nothing else is usually pretty lax when it comes to game patching and it's like, I've been actually surprised how much they've patched Elden Ring and el added things in, but it's like, once the games are released, they're kind of should be good to go. Like, that's how games should be. But now it seems like yeah. everything is early access for the first year and a half. And you may as well wait for the two years for the game to be patched and all the content added in that uh, like should arguably should be there or it gets added to it. Like, yeah. I, I tend to be quite... Um, behind on games now because it's just not worth my time to buy a broken game and wait two years to play it. It's easier to wait two years to play it, buy it at a quarter of the price new, and have a better time than the people that are early adopters. Um, Again, patience, patience being rewarded. Yeah. You know? um, Except with Elden Ring, which was pretty darn good out of the gate, and same with all their yeah. other games, for that matter. So, <laughs> Yeah. And that's the thing. And people... You know, it's going to be, a, and many people are saying, look, it's two games. It's God of War or Elden Ring later this year with the game of what Not that awards matter that much, but um, I guess we can get Andrew's hot take on which one it's going to be. And uh, don't let the fact that you're on the Elden Ring podcast right now cloud and influence you. What's your game of the year so far? Is it, is it Elden Ring? or? Ooh. Um, I mean, I, I hate to say this. I haven't played it enough to actually give it um, that high of a to put it on the list with good conscience. Okay. Um, even with God of War, another one of the games that I played quite late, um, but I finished that, I think, beginning of the pandemic, um, mm -hmm. played through, um, yeah, the last God of War. And I did not like the original. I mean, I said earlier, back when Demon's Souls came out, like God of War, I found very boring. So when that mm -hmm. came out, I was like, I don't want to play this. But if it's like, it's one of the best games. Played it, yeah. really liked it. And I am very much looking forward to uh, Ragnarok coming out. And right. um, I don't think that game will be broken on release because nope. it's kind of another one where um, it's uh, Corey Bar Barlog. I keep wanting to uh, call him Balrog, he, but he's, um, he's not a Balrog. Um, Barlog, yeah, he's producing and, and writing this one. Eric Williams is directing this one, but he's, he's directing very close it. To okay. Involved. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, yeah. at least with them, they seem like they have like as far as being studio heads, quite a mm. good amount of control over the creative direction and having it um, be enough of an auteur project where it's not too many fingers in a pie. I mean, you do need a, enough influence from artists and it's like you hire good people to delegate to them of what they can do best. But as far as like story and direction, they seem to have a pretty good handle on it without... Um, yeah. It's like, oh, let's make this a free-to-play and, you know, make it a full-service game. They haven't done that, so... 
Exactly. Or I'm live service game, that. not full service. No, yeah. no, no, no. And any any of that, anything that is in the game, and I think you and I might might be aligned on this. I think it's safe to say is, I think it seems like we're pretty pretty similar generation, and it's like, don't give me your weird VR AR. Just it's a game <laughs> is a game. It's a screen in your in your lounge. No, and don't give me mobile gaming. It's just. You know, when we when we designed the car, we didn't get too funky with it. It's four wheels. It's like, and so I don't know if there were early kind of attempts at like mixing it up, like foldable phones. I think you and I are just like a game is a, a video game is a video game. You sit in the lounge in front of a TV with a controller, you know. Yeah. So I mean, I do. Yeah. I mean, there's a place for mobile gaming and there's a place for VR stuff. I actually, I really like VR as far as gaming goes. I unfortunately do get horribly motion sick, so oh, I really? had to take a step back. Because I just, it it takes me weeks to recover. But I mean, VR games are just so much work. Like you yeah. have to sit there with your arms like out supporting themselves. And it's just, it's a whole different thing. And there are some extremely immersive VR games that I do not think would work that well in um, 2D platforms. Just because you don't have um, quite a connection to the character. There's... Um, a VR game called uh, Moss, where you're oh, just kind of love this, that one. It is it is such a beautiful game, and I've never yeah. like felt if it wasn't in VR, it wouldn't have worked. But it's like you have this one to one relationship with this tiny little mouse, mouse. and it's like you want to protect and love this little mouse <laughs> quill, and you have this very like visceral emotional connection to the stupid little virtual mouse. But it's uh. like you you feel like it's your pet, and that doesn't happen with um, normal 2D, I mean, screen games, but you also yeah. don't get the same kind of intensity and like locked inness as you do with that. And there's just a lot more technical things in VR as far as like directing where people need to look and things where it's, it's a difficult thing to do, but it's a different medium. Like I wouldn't yeah. want to play a third person okay. slashy game too much in VR because it's just Not unnecessary. But it yeah. is a, a wonderful medium when used in the right projects. So, all right, I don't know, <laughs> Mister Mister Monster Caesar, being all diplomatic. I appreciate it. I like that. Well, you don't, don't you know. don't want to burn any bridges. Hey, any VR AR people? We you have a friend in Andrew. Okay, yeah, Mister. There you go. You need someone a three D model on your games? Let me let me know. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, actually, speaking of potential future things um i might go wide with this one which is uh future with elden ring a sequel some dlc some other project um from miyazaki what's what's what are you scrying in your crystal ball for the future of either elden ring or miyazaki good question um i i honestly try not to keep up on that stuff too much i like being surprised down the road That's good Mm -hmm. But um, in the circles that I run in, I a lot of my industry friends and art people, they work on stuff. And a lot of it's, I don't know, the, you hear whispers here and there, despite NDAs and things. I mean, never anything Ooh. specific, but it's like, oh, I'm working on a cool project. Cough, cough, whatever insert must be. So there's, I don't know, there's always cool stuff in the works. And I'll probably leave All it at right. that before I get myself into trouble. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I think uh, if, if you're staying, and I say this for this, we've had a few recent recordings where I've had to kind of reassure people. It's like, do not worry. Like we were miles away from NDAsville. You know, we just had Bridie Sisson, 
who plays the dweller from the lord of the rings mm. um uh this amazing very i mean talk about someone who could stride right out of a tolkien adaptation and into something in the miyazaki verse like with the shaved hair and the, the, the <laughs> contacts but she's a very sweet lady from from auckland we're friends now she's rad nice. um and um and, and my my vibe with that is with with ndas and stuff is i generally think that there's way too much you know guardedness around it and i think if they were a bit looser with it, there wouldn't there wouldn't be as much. It's that it's that principle of like don't eat the cookies, and then the kid wants to eat the cookies. Like so, if they if they loosened up a teensy bit on that, then I think it would overall benefit. You know, I know that uh, Norman Reedus got in a bit of trouble for like basically confirming Death Stranding too, but you know. Yeah, I mean, it's do? I don't know. I'm I'm on the fence about that as far as all right. Um, creating an expectation in an audience for stuff that may or may not come to fruition where if mm -hmm. someone i don't know even see it in games where they find like deleted files or you know people delving into you know what's a good example like with cyberpunk there's all this like hidden underground area and different things that were stripped from the game for various reasons and if you do have people coming out talking oh we're gonna have this and this um and it's not there in the end. It creates an, uh, okay. an unrealistic expectation for things. And I, I don't know. NDAs have a whole thing to them. I think they're often overbearing. But yeah. um, there is a reason for it. Kind mm. of. I don't know. It's usually just to protect the studio on legal grounds. But whatever. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know what? I think you have covered off on so many angles on... on on Elden Ring and and some wonderful impromptu kind of uh, um, I, I, call, I call them reveries into a lot of fascinating adjacent subject matter. Uh, we do have to uh, wrap things up a little bit earlier on this one um, with uh, some other stuff that's coming up. But uh, Andrew, it has been such a pleasure. We've made like plans for three other podcasts during this one. I mean, I've made them <laughs> one-sided. You haven't actually technically agreed. I dare say the, the Bloodborne one, can I count on you for that if you wanted to jump on? Uh, sure. Um, okay. I don't know what I'd talk about on that one either, but we would, I mean, we would just be we would just be babbling uh, winter lanterns of madness from just okay. happiness. Yeah, because it, yeah, right. I think as far as like content goes, I immersed myself very much in Bloodborne and the Lovecraftian lore and all that fun yeah. stuff, and can speak to it much more without fumbling over names and basic locations. So, oh. <laughs> look, Miyazaki, he doesn't make it easy on us because again, the prolificity, you know, the, the prolificness. Um, it's, you know, when Elden Ring came out, that's a whole other branch of uh, Miyazaka, Miyazakology. I used to, I, I came up with a perfect portmanteau, Miyazaki archaeology. It's, it's tough. Oh, nice. Um, or from, from softology or whatever. Like he, he, it's like suddenly when you think you've, you know, you've read The Pale Blood Hunt by DMC Redgrave, you've, you're versed in it, you're, you've been diving into Pthimeru and all of that, <laughs> and then suddenly you have this whole other, you know, um, Miyazaki verse to explore. But um, but dude, uh, I'm already actually pro, like pre-hyped for, for speaking with you on the newly revamped uh, Bloodborne stuff. Um, I'm one of those people that puts things out into the cosmos and like tries to manifest them into happening. And I'm going to manifest this. We we get on Bloodborne podcast to celebrate something. You know, Legacy of Kane's going to be coming out soon. Like crazy <laughs> thing. I'm serious. They've just, they did a survey. They've launched stuff. We have a Legacy of Kane podcast. Crazier things have happened. The Mars Volta came back after 10 years of dormancy. Like, True. right. So I'm not going to put it out of 
the realm of possibility at all. We get that. And when that happens, I'm going to beeline for you and let's just get our get our Thumeru on, start doing just the, all that kind of, uh, you know, uh, beckoning kind of, you know, sort of, um, you know, emotes or whatever. But um, but yeah, till, till that one. But but for now, thank you so much for joining the show, my friend. Yeah, it's been good. Thank you for having me. I'm more than happy to come back. This has been great. Um, very excited all right onwards forth with your amazing craft i now uh, walk you to the uh the round table holds door and uh off we go back into the lands between see you see you everybody uh take it easy man be well bye yeah, thank you have a good one <laughs> see you, man. you too buddy <laughs>